we have been talking about, we've been in the series The New Man, and I'm not going to reiterate all of that, but just what the understanding is that we know this, is that when we are made new in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. Therefore, what is of the past is just that, it's of the past. And that old man died with Christ on the cross and was resurrected with him and gives us new life when we are born again. And we started to talk about faith, understanding what faith is, but also understanding what it is not. And the key there is that we can't make faith something more than what it is. Because the word faith, if you recall, simply means that we believe, we trust, we are assured. We're just convinced that what God said he will do. That's really what it comes down to. You can have faith in things that are outside of God, right? We have faith in gravity, right? If you're unsure about gravity, go walk on the ice in the parking lot. You'll find out it's still functioning. But think about that for a minute. We don't walk around and like, I wonder if gravity is going to work today. We know it is. Katie might. Katie might. Yeah, she might be there. She's like, okay, if I fall down the stairs, I wonder if it's going to hurt today. You know? It's true. There you go. There you go. She made it down the stairs quickly. That's what she just said if you didn't hear her. So, you know, I mean, so there's always a, a silver lining on every accident, okay? I don't know. The good thing is we got a paramedic here today if you were to fall. So, yes, she's here. She's right. Dark hair and everything. She's ready to go. So, but, but think about that. We have faith in all sorts of things, right? We put our faith in government, right? Why do we do that? Because we're stupid. Because they're going to fail us, right? They're going to make stupid decisions. And, you, and you, you sit there and you watch, like, I know many of you do this. You sit and turn on C-SPAN to see what they're arguing about today, right? I'm sure that's what we all do because it's lots of fun. But we, for some reason, are convinced in some capacity that these lawmakers will get it right. I don't know why. Because history tells us that they don't. But we put faith in people. And do people fail us? Yes, they do. But you think about it, when we go back to the idea of gravity, when we go to the idea that the sun will come up tomorrow, we do not wake up and I'm like, I wonder if the sun's going to come out today. Not in the sense that it's cloudy, but that the earth is actually going to revolve around and it is going to appear in some capacity. We don't think about those things because those are laws that we are so convinced of that we don't even think about it anymore. If we could get to that place with the things of God, imagine how different this world would be. Imagine if we were so convinced about God's healing power that it just was what happens versus like, I wonder if this is going to work. Imagine what the world would be like. And the thing that I want you guys to understand is we went through this last week. We broke down Isaiah 53. And what I wanted you to see there is that is the messianic um, passage of Isaiah that the Jews don't even read. Okay, because I had a couple of you come up to me last week and like, yeah, I talked to this one guy. I said they never even read that before. And I told you a story about alignment at UCLA and all this other stuff. Like they ignore that part because it seems to point to Jesus. And since Jesus isn't the Messiah, well, then we can't read that because you can't understand it. So but when you break down the Hebrew meanings of those words, it is talking not only about redemption of our souls, but also the healing of our bodies. And we have to get that. It is not an either-or proposition. It is an all-encompassing proposition. And the question I have for you is, why is it so easy for us to accept God at His word that we are made right in His eyes, but yet we can't accept Him at His word that He wants us to be whole, to be healed? Why can't we? Part of the reason is, is our faith is at a place where we can accept something that we don't face every day, i.e. eternity. 
But when we're sick or we're injured or something is going on, we struggle with that. And the reason we struggle with that is because, frankly, we don't see the results that we think we should. And we make up a million excuses. In fact, the modern church doctrine today is like, well, healing used to happen, but it doesn't happen anymore. Or, if it's God's will. I'm sorry, when you look up the original meaning of those words in Isaiah 53, it's pretty obvious that it was God's will. And that Jesus went and healed those who were sick, that he might fulfill that passage in the book of Matthew. I mean, there's, there's just no question about it. But how do we receive it? So when we look at this, we look at, we receive salvation. How? According to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it is by grace, it is through faith, and it comes down to us, but it is given to us through Jesus. We have to believe in Him. Remember, we talked about that. That in Him concept is everything. Our faith is in Him. Our belief is in Him. Our trust is in Him. So it's the grace, which is God's unmerited favor, that He pours out on us. In other words, we didn't deserve it. There is nothing about what Jesus did for us that we earned or deserved. In fact, if it were me, I'd have just lit the fuse on it, blew it up, and started all over again. Because why would you do that? Because he loved us while we were still sinners. You guys follow? So we're, we're looking at the word and we're putting all the pieces together. That while we were still sinners, he loved us and sent his son into the world. So it's his grace that he does. But how do we receive that grace? Well, it is simply through faith, through belief. Through being fully persuaded. In fact, it's this verse here, Hebrews eleven six, that without faith it is impossible to God, uh, impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe. That's that same word as faith. That He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Now leave that up for a minute, because think about this: when we come to God, we have to believe that He is, that He exists, right? And if we believe that he is, and he is who he says he is, that he exists, then we can receive that grace because we've already approached him through faith or belief or we're fully persuaded. You would not give your life in salvation to God if you didn't believe that he exists. Right? That would make no sense. I don't know if I believe in God, but I'm a Christian. Well, if you're not fully persuaded, then your faith is not there. So it trickles down. It is through faith. That is simply the mechanism of which we receive it. Are you guys following me with this? Faith is not powerful. Faith is not an item. It is simply being fully persuaded that God is who he says he is, and he will reward those who do what? They diligently seek him. When you think of the word diligently, that means on purpose. I didn't trip and stumble one day and wake up a Christian, right? I made that decision that I'm going to put my faith in God. So if that is how we receive salvation, then how do we receive all the other promises of God? It's the same thing. If we're going to receive healing, it is through grace, through faith, to us. It's the same thing. We approach Him in the same way. But we don't. We should, but we don't. You see, look at this. Matthew chapter 8, verse 14. When Jesus had come into Peter's house and he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever, he touched her hand and the fever left her and she arose and served them. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon possessed and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet saying he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. So here Jesus in Matthew chapter 8 is fulfilling what we read last week in the book of Isaiah and how is he fulfilling that? Well, he, he, uh, uh, they brought him those who were demon possessed, possessed and he cast out their spirits. And he healed all who were sick. And how did those people approach him? Would you come to the man looking for healing if you did not believe that he had the ability to heal you? No, you would not. So they are coming to him in faith. 
You guys following me? Because I need you to see this. You see, last week we talked about Jairus' daughter and how they weren't believing. Yeah, they believed that Jesus could heal her. But then they came and said, well, she's already dead. She's already gone. And it talks about how the people in the room have laughed at him and stuff when he said, no, she's just sleeping, right? But the parents, after they raised her up, said the parents were astonished. That word astonished, guys, you're not astonished by something you're expecting, right? You don't wake up one morning and you look out the window and here's this giant ball of fire and you're astonished by it. I can't believe that thing's out there. Why? Because we expect it. It's just what happens, right? Like, if you eat Big Macs every day, you're not going to be astonished that your clothes don't fit anymore. Right? We kind of expect it. Dumb illustration, maybe? I don't know. Okay. You see, we have got to become fully persuaded that God is, and He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. That is the premises of what faith is. And if we begin to understand that, then we will walk and operate in the things that God has given for us. So in other words, when you're so fully convinced that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, you will simply obey what he says to do. Let me give you an example of this. And we're going to talk about this more in depth in a few weeks. But when it comes to giving, the concept of the tithe, you want to get people to leave your church, preach on giving. Because people get mad. I was in a service one time. It was one of the best teachings I'd ever heard on tithing. And a guy literally stormed out of the service and had a conversation with the security in the back. And I say security, they're not armed guards, but it was a church in a mall, and it was just people eye on the doors. But he was madder than a hornet. Don't you dare tell me what I should do with my money. What does that tell me? You see where his heart's at. You see, because the things of God says that if we bring to God that 10% that belongs to him, then his hand is on the 90, and we'll actually do more and do better with the 90 than if we had the full 100 without that. Now, that doesn't make sense naturally speaking, because what makes sense naturally speaking is that you take that 10% and you do something with it, right? But yet, you have to be fully convinced that God is who he says he is and a rewarder of those who diligently seek him to give that into some capacity, saying, God, I'm going to trust you, that you are the one who meets my needs. And so it takes a step of faith. I mean, to give away 10%. That's just one example. But we see that all the time throughout Scripture. It's accepting Jesus as who he is. So let's look at this. In Luke chapter 9, and we're going to talk about this because we were in Luke chapter 8 last week. And we're going to begin to look at some of these things. Now watch what happens here. Then he called his 12 disciples together and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Okay, so there's two things that he gave them power, right? Over all demons, which doesn't mean there's any un, you know, left behind that they didn't have power, and to cure diseases. That's sickness. Pick anything you want. And he sent them to do what? Preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Why are those the two things that he had sent them to do? Because of those two things that Jesus came to do. Because those are the two fulfillments of the promise in Isaiah. That the Messiah has come to not only tell you about the kingdom of God, which is important. That's how we know who he is and that we can be born again but also to heal the sick and take sickness from the midst of us because sickness comes from the enemy and Jesus came for this one purpose to destroy the works of the devil and therefore through that we don't have to be sick. But I digress. And he said to them, take nothing for the journey, neither staff nor bag nor bread nor money. Do not have two tunics apiece. In other words, travel lightly. Okay, whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the towns. What did they do? They preached the gospel and they healed 
everywhere. Now, wait a minute. How did they do that? They didn't have the Holy Spirit, right? Well, as you see in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit comes upon people. And I have no doubt here, given the authority that Jesus had, he gave them authority, that the Holy Spirit was upon them. But he didn't stay, because that won't happen until Acts chapter 2. The only one that that happened with was Jesus. So he gave them a job, right? Go out there and do the very things that I was doing, preaching the gospel and healing the sick. Now, when we jump ahead a little bit into verse 37, this is right after the transfiguration. So Peter and John and all those guys are there and they're seeing this. That happens, the whole transfiguration story. Now verse 37 says, Now it happened on the next day when they had come down from the mountain, remember they were up on the mountain, that a great multitude met him. And suddenly a man from the multitude cried out saying, Teacher, I implore you, look on my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him. Okay, so it's demonic, right? Okay, and he suddenly cries out. And it convulses him so that he foams at the mouth. So, I mean, this is pretty serious stuff. And it departs from him with great difficulty, bruising him. Makes it sound like he comes and goes, and maybe he does. I don't know. So I implored your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Now, wait a minute. He had just given them authority at the beginning of this chapter, then the transfiguration. So there's a little time lapse that's going on here. But why could they then, and now all of a sudden they can't? Now watch. Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And as he was still coming, the demon threw him down and convulsed him. Then Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit. He healed the child and gave him back to his father. Why couldn't the disciples do it? He said, you're faithless. You are not believing this. Now, we know that they had seen miracles take place, that they'd cast out demons and they healed the sick. Why couldn't they hear? They weren't walking in this operation of being fully assured of what's going on here. They're not believing it. So you see this this pattern that they go on. One minute, yeah, God is great. I can do all of these things. And now they're down here, I don't know. This one's pretty serious. Sounds like us, doesn't it? We do the same thing. I mean, I'm telling you guys, I have seen miracles take place. Blind eyes open. People get up out of wheelchairs. And I've seen other people not even be able to get healed from a head cold. Which you would think, you know, hey, you never walked and now you are and you got the sniffles. I can't make that go away. You know, what's the difference? Somehow as we're ministering, we are not walking in the fully assured portion of that God is able to do what he said he would do. We're not fully persuaded. Well, now let's look at the next chapter here. Chapter 10, verse 1. After these things, what things? What we just read about. The Lord appointed 70 others, so it was more than the 12, and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. So they're kind of going in front of him. A little John the Baptist type thing going, going in front of them. Then he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Think about that for a minute. That illustration is used of the Pharisees constantly, right? The false teachers, the teachers of things that are anti to God. You're going out there as a lamb among the wolves. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. That sound familiar? Just told his disciples to do that before. But whatever house you enter first, say peace to this house. And if the son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house eating and drinking such things as they give you for the laborer is worthy of his wages do not go from house to house whatever city you enter and they receive you eat such things as they set before you and heal the sick there and say to them the kingdom of God has come near to you so what's he saying 
if they receive you, if they believe that you are sent by me with the authority that I have given you, then they will receive you. And I want you to heal the sick, and I want you to preach the gospel of the kingdom. What did he tell his disciples to do? The very same thing. What had he been doing? The very same thing. This is very simple. But look at verse 10. Whatever city you enter, they do not receive you. Go out into its streets and say, The very dust of your city which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable in the day of Sodom than that city. So you are rejecting the Messiah and his people. So you don't have faith to receive that grace. Because he's sending it, but you're not believing. You don't believe it. The day of Sodom, what happened to Sodom? They were completely destroyed by God as judgment. Then it says, Woe to you, Teresin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. What mighty works happened? It was the feeding of the 5,000. That's what happened in Bethsaida. That's where it was. And yet you don't believe? What more do you need? Let's see. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. He who hears you hears me. He who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Then the 70 return with joy. So they sent out. They come back saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to, you, it, to us in your name. That's the key. In his name. In him. Right? But they seem a little surprised by it. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. When it says serpents and scorpions, it is not talking about going out there crushing bugs and killing snakes. Okay? Praise the Lord, right? No, it is talking about demons. I give you authority over all of these things. You'll see that in Luke 11 because he explains that later on. But he says, I give you authority over all of this to go out there and do these things. This is the 70. This isn't just the 12. The, the, the group has expanded. But watch what he says. Nevertheless, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In other words, don't be surprised, guys. The sun came up. I mean, why you should be convinced of this. You, what we rejoice in is that our names are written in heaven. Like, that's what we're thinking. So, in other words, we're not, we're not glorifying the acts. We're not putting our faith in healing. We're not putting our faith in authority. We're putting our faith in the one who gives healing and the authority giver in him. You guys following me? Okay, let's go on. Look at Luke chapter 5. Here's another example. And it happened, verse 12, and it happened when he was in a certain city that, behold, a man who was full of leprosy, he saw Jesus. And he fell on his face and he implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Remember, leprosy is unclean. They believed it was given by God and only the Messiah could heal them. So what is he doing? He is approaching the one who he believes is the Messiah, knowing that only he can make him clean if he is willing. Then he put out his hand and he touched him. That's a big no-no, right? Because Jewish law, if you touch somebody with leprosy, you are now unclean. Saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately, the leprosy left him. Not in three to six weeks. Immediately. 
the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And he would go present himself to the high priest, and they would make a sacrifice. Read Leviticus, I think it's 15 or 16, that talks about all the things that happened after that. But the bottom line here is that he saw Jesus, and he implored him. He came to him through faith, believing that he is the Messiah, to receive that grace from him, knowing that he was the only one that could do this. Now let's look at Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him. You could say implored him. He's begging him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. So he's begging Jesus. He's pleading with him. And Jesus said, I will come and I will heal him. Okay, that's what he was looking for. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. Remember, he's Roman. That's what a centurion is, a Roman soldier. And he's actually a, an authoritative figure in that. So Jews did not associate there. And remember, what did Jesus come from? for? Not the Gentiles. He came for the nation of Israel. I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. Now, why does he say this? Well, he explains it. I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Ladies, don't you wish your husbands were like that? Don't you wish your kids? Yeah, well trained. They know their place, right? That's what you do. Okay. When Jesus heard it, he marveled. Okay, now think about This is the Son of God. He's now marveling over what this man just said. And said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Why would he make that statement? Israel should be the one that have no problem accepting the Messiah. And they're not. But here's a man who's a Roman soldier. He's not a follower of God in the truest sense of the word at this time, because he's not an Israelite. But he comes to Jesus. Why? Because he believed that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You see, he was fully persuaded that not only could Jesus, but Jesus would do it, and that he didn't even need to show up. He just needed to say it, and it would happen. So he's fully convinced. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said, I'm, Surely I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Wouldn't you like to ask them a few questions? I know I would. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out in the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Now, in, in some translation here, Janice says, Be it unto you as you believe, right? That sounds a lot better than what I just read. But why? What was it that he believed? He believed that Jesus was. That he was able to do it. Jesus was willing to go and lay hands on him. But the centurion was like, you don't even need to do that. Just say it like, you're a busy guy. You got stuff to do. Right? I mean, it was probably a Saturday. It was probably the Sabbath day. They're probably going to get done preaching and go to Chick-fil-A. Right? I mean, he knew what was going on. He said, listen, I get it. I get the authority of the world and how God has set this up. All you got to do is say it. So why was it believed unto him? Because he simply accepted the fact that Jesus could, and through that belief, that he would. It's that simple. You see how complicated we make this? We go through like 37 hoops that you got to go through. Someone's getting prayed again. Okay, well, do you have any sin in your life? Well, duh, yes. Why? Because I have a pulse. So let's throw that out because that's not what Jesus said. He didn't say, okay, now have you been sinning? Did you sacrifice today? Did you, did you mikvah and purify yourself before you came to me? 
No, we make it so complicated. You know what we don't make complicated? Salvation. Well, quickly, come as you are. God will meet you where you're at. That's all well and good. Then we're really good. Okay, now that you're saved, let me tell you the 27 things you need to fix. Because you're screwed up. Whatever happened to just the power of God working through the Holy Spirit on people? Oh, we, we like to intervene. We need to help them out a little. So when he sees us, he is just fully convinced. And that's where it is. Now, look at this in James chapter 5. This is a verse that I use frequently, especially if I'm going to pray for people. It says, any among you suffering? Well, let him pray. If you're cheerful, let him sing psalms. That's worship, guys. That's, that's what those were. Any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of what? Faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be what? Healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, which means screwed up. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it didn't rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Now think about this. If you're suffering, hey, pray. If you're cheerful, let's worship God. That's essentially what he's saying. And if you're sick, he said, well, call for the elders. And let them come, and let them lay hands on you. And the prayer of faith. What is the prayer of faith? Oh, it's not faith in healing. It's faith that God is the healer. The prayer of faith is, I believe that God's going to heal you, and that's why I'm here. I wouldn't come otherwise. This is what James is telling them to do. This is a command from James saying, hey, if you're sick, do this. Would you do that if you didn't believe it was possible? No. Is there any question if it's God's will? He says the prayer of faith will raise him up. Not might, if it be thou will. Not at all. It says that he will do that. And then look at that part. If he's committed sins, if, right? So it says he's going to raise him up first, and then we'll deal with the sin issue. Not the other way around. We in the church like to do it the other way around. I was in a healing service one time, and the guy, and he's a good-hearted guy. He meant well. But uh, this guy, had, had, I think he had knee surgery or something, injured his knee. I don't remember what exactly happened. But he goes up there, and the, the, the minister's praying for him. He said, I sense that you have sin in your life. And I'm standing over like, well, duh. You know, I'm pretty sure you do too, buddy. And so he, uh, he's sitting there like, oh, I sense that you have sin in your life, and you won't be healed until you take care of this sin. And the guy's sitting there like, well, what did I do? You know, he's racking his brain. His faith was nowhere in God at all, nowhere near him. He was just fully convinced that, well, I'm a sinner, and I've got to figure this out before God can heal me. That's not what this just told us. That's not what any of this has told us. Right? That's like saying, because we receive salvation and healing in the same manner by grace through faith, that is like saying, okay, if you want to be saved and born again, you need to figure out all the sins that you've ever committed, and once you figure those out, then you need to repent of them all, and if you do that, then you can be saved. We would never make that statement, but we do that with healing. Why do we do that? Because we're not fully convinced, and if we're not seeing results, then we are just like, well, I don't know, this must be it. So, anyway, Luke chapter 5, let's look at this. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 16. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. That's Jesus. Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. So look at what's happening. They're coming on a certain day that he's teaching. All these Pharisees from all these places are coming around specifically to hear him. And the power of the Lord was present to heal who? Them. Okay, 
Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and led him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said to them, man, your sins are forgiven. I'm going to stop there for a minute. Now, how did he see their faith? He saw it in the fact that they were doing anything they could get to Jesus. Anything. Thanks for stopping by. Have a great day. I told her, she has the basketball game they got to go to. I told her I was going to embarrass her. So, hey, come back and see us sometimes. Yeah, okay. Anyway, sorry, didn't mean to get distracted there. But think about this, guys, is that their faith was being shown through their action. They knew the one who possessed the ability to heal. And when they couldn't get in the room, therefore they went up on the roof. Would we do that? We would if we're fully persuaded, if we are convinced by God. So he sees their faith. He says, your sins are forgiven. Now, this ticks these, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees off. It says, the scribes and the Pharisees begin to reason, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, how about God's son? He can. But when Jesus, what did he do? He perceived their thoughts. Okay? He didn't hear him say it. He perceived it. He answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you or to say rise up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And immediately he rose up before them. He took what he had been lying on and departed to his own house. And what was he doing? He was glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. I mean, put that in perspective. You're there, you've been like, okay, that was a little weird. Here's a dude getting lowered via rope through the roof. And then Jesus heals him, and he forgives him. Right? Spitting in the face of the Pharisees. Yeah, you think you got this figured out. Let me explain this to you guys. This is the Son of God. He has the power to forgive sin. But what was their faith being demonstrated? In the bringing him in because they were fully convinced. And the dude gets up and he walks off. He carried what he was brought out in. It's like seeing somebody walking in with crutches, barely able to walk, and then walking out holding him in their hands. I've seen it. It still happens today. But why don't we believe it? Because we put our faith in the healing and not the healer. But we put our faith in Jesus for salvation, right? We don't put our faith in our ability or anything like that. We put it in Jesus, but we don't when it comes to healing. You see, these guys knew who Jesus was, and they believed that he was the Messiah, and he knew that, they were, that he was the one that would be able to heal this man. That's why they went out of their way to make sure he got into the presence of God. Yes, you guys see how that works? Okay, now what about in Acts chapter 1? Look at this one. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. It says, the former account I made, O Theophilus, this is Luke, he wrote the book of Acts, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. Okay, now let's look at this for a minute. Let's just break this down. He's writing this to a man named Theophilus. He says, I'm going to give a more orderly account because like the book of Matthew exactly is not chronological. It's thematic. It's got the themes and that's the order they put it in. He's trying to write it in order. So he says, from all that Jesus began to both do and teach in the beginning, basically after his baptism, until the day he was taken up. 
And then, but through the Holy Spirit had given commandments just before he was taken up, right? What was the commandment? We're going to see it in a minute, but it was to go to Jerusalem. Okay. He, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostle whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. What are many infallible proofs? All the miracles that he did. The fact that he's standing there is a miracle. Yes? Okay. So for 40 days he's there. Now, being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or season which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now here's the question. If you were sitting there and we're not convinced that the words of Jesus were the words of God. Would you have waited in Jerusalem? Let's go back a bit. When Jesus told them that I'm going to go and I'm going to die, but don't worry, I'm coming back three days later. Did they wait for him? No, they did not. What did they do? They went back fishing. They went back to their regular life because they weren't convinced. There's many times that they were not convinced that Jesus was going to do what he said he was going to do. Now, we sit here kind of with a haughty spirit like, you idiots. Like, it's so easy. I believe that, you know, all of that. Put yourself in those shoes. It's not as easy as it seems. You have got to be convinced that this man is who he says he is. I don't know, at, after that point, you know, maybe when he comes back and they've seen him dead and they helped bury him and all that, now you're probably pretty convinced. But you don't wait in Jerusalem unless you're convinced that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you because Jesus said it. You see, look at Psalm 103, verse 1. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is in, within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. What's a benefit? When you go to work for somebody, you got a benefit. you got like health care, 401k, all that kind of stuff. Like that's a big deal to some places, uh, some people when they go to work. In other words, the benefit is you simply receive this because you are a part of that company. So the benefit here is you simply get this because you are a child of God. Okay? Now, what, what are the benefits? Who forgives all our iniquities? Well, that's a good one. He forgives our sins, right? Not some, all. That's good. He heals all our diseases. Well, wait a minute. Well, that one, we've got to make sure that we have no sin in our life. We've got to make sure that we are at church for the last three out of four Sundays. If you miss one, probably not getting healed. I mean, we, that's not what it says. It's one of the benefits of being a child of God is he heals our diseases. What else does he do? He redeems our life from destruction. What destruction is it talking about? We are made right with God. We'll spend eternity with him. Our soul will not be destroyed. We have one death. Those who are unbelievers have two he redeems our life from destruction. He crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercy. He satisfies our mouth with good things. And our youth is renewed like the eagles. Hey, I don't know about y'all, but I'll take a little of that. I mean, you know how it is. The older you get, the harder it is to get out of a chair. I'll take a little renewing. I mean, I've been praying for years that the Nebraska football team finds a little bit of that. I know Jesus is up there in Lincoln. That's where he hangs out. I know it. So let's see this happen. Guys, a benefit is just a result. It's like we judge things by their fruit, right? What is the fruit? A fruit is simply a product 
of the root of the tree. You can look at a tree and know that it's an apple tree if it has apples hanging off of it, right? So it's just because it is. It's not because you had to do anything special to the tree. An apple tree makes apples. Orange trees make oranges. It's not complicated. It's pretty simple, actually. If we're connected to the root, then what should we have? The benefits of God. Well, let's look at another one. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases from among the people. He's doing three things, right? He was teaching, he was preaching, he was healing. And his fame went throughout all Syria. And they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great multitudes followed him. I should hope so. So, what was he doing? Preaching, teaching, and healing. Right? Okay. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Pretty simple. What was he doing? Well, he was preaching, teaching, and healing. In fact, that's what he did everywhere. In fact, that's what he gave the authority to the disciples to do. And then he gave the authority to the 70 to do. You know who else he gave that authority to? Us! The church, the body of Christ, who are his witnesses and his ambassadors in the earth to go about ministering for him. These signs will follow those who believe. What's the key there? Those who believe. They're fully persuaded that God is willing and God is able. The one thing I've never understood for somebody who doesn't know that if it's God's will to heal them, why you'd ever go to a doctor. Because if it's God's will that you're sick, then why would you go against his will by trying to make yourself well? Kind of a double standard, right? Well, let's look at Acts chapter 4. Verse 23, And being let go, they went to their own companions. This is Peter and, uh, I think, John. They had been captured, they were in jail, and then they kind of released them and wanted them to go quietly, and, you know, they didn't. But anyway, and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God. In other words, they're saying, God, we need something here. They raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. And who by the mouth of your servant David has said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ, his Messiah, his anointed one. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. In other words, this was laid out before the foundation of the world, what was going to happen. Now, Lord, look on their threats. Remember, they were told, you cannot teach in the name of Jesus anymore. And grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. By stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. You see, they were threatened to keep your mouth shut. You can go about, you can live your life, but you don't say nothing about this Jesus guy. We're going to let you go. You keep your mouth shut. They're, they're shaken. How would you feel if your life was threatened over what you believe? I mean, we have it so good here. 
And so when they come to God, they're like, God, you are the, you created the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything that is in them. And you said that these people will plot against your Messiah. And so, Lord, you used those same people to fulfill what your will was. That the Messiah would die for us. But Lord, look on their threats. Look what they're saying. Look what they're, uh, they're going to do to us. You and I would maybe walk away. But what did they say? We need boldness. Look on their threats and grant to us with all boldness that we may speak your word. And that when we stretch out your hand, whose hand? His hand to heal. How is it his hand? Because in Ephesians 2, he's the head and we are the body. It's his hand. Saul, why do you persecute me? He was persecuting the church. He wasn't persecuting Jesus, except that the church is his body. Stretching out your hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. You see, what are they looking for? They're not looking for a way to kind of subvert things and just get in there quietly. Lord, we need boldness. They're threatening our lives. Allow us to stand up for truth. And through these signs and wonders that you heal these people, that you, they will see this truth. They wouldn't do this if they didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was and that he was a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And when they had prayed that, what happened? So the place that they prayed was shaken. Now think about that. That's the building, y'all. That's not the people. God can shake people. He can shake buildings. I've seen him shake people. I've never seen him shake a building. I mean, he can if he wants. Guys, what were they doing here? Their life was threatened. We are so convinced. We are fully persuaded that you are able, Lord. We're coming to you, and we need that boldness to stand up for truth. Why do they do that? God is. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. See, this is what I've been talking about, is we can't just simply agree with the Word. We have to believe it. We have to put our faith in it. Not in the Bible itself, but in the one to whom it's talking about. You see, when it talks about that those of you who are sick, let them come to the elders. Who are the elders? Well, I'm an elder, and we have other elders here. But it's really talking about spiritual leaders. Why would you come to them? Because they're a, a, a mechanism in which God uses. It can be anybody. See, these commandments were given to all of us. But we're not fully persuaded. We're not convinced that God is able to heal. We're not convinced because we don't believe his word. We've got to get there. So how do we get there? Well, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We've got to be in the word of God. But we can't just read it. We've got to accept it as truth. So if God said that you're going to be healed, then we need to do that. 